BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Increasing property taxes is very difficult. It's not to say that it's not a tool in our toolbox and, and possibly may need to be. Uh, but we, importantly, we are building contingency scenarios for how it is that we can address this gap uh, in uh, both 2020 and 2021. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. And with us today is the financial team for the City of Chicago, Budget Director Susie Park and Chief Financial Officer Jenny Wang Bennett. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. This was the week of reckoning, or at least one of them, for the pandemic-ridden city budget. Mayor Lightfoot blamed rising coronavirus case levels in Chicago and the two rounds of looting for a dramatic increase in the city shortfall. It is now a combined $2 billion, with a B, for this year and next. Wow. What are you going to do to solve this problem? Um, well, this is Susie. I'll start. Um, you know, I think, uh, well, we're going to look at it in two ways. Um, you know, we did announce the $800 million shortfall, um, which is for this year, um, which we are working towards closing uh, by the end of the year. Um, and then the $1.2 billion that was announced um, is the shortfall, is the gap for next year uh, that we're working towards as we work to present our 2021 budget. Um, in terms of 2020, um, as we had talked about, um, you know, we have our CARES Act funding that's helping, you know, a lot of the city incurred costs during our coronavirus response early on. Um, so we are hoping to offset some of that with our uh, CARES Act funding um, that's going to allow for the reimbursement of both staff time and non-personnel costs that we did incur on the corporate fund um, as part of our response. How much uh, of it? Um, we're expecting about $350 million. Um, Okay. What about the rest? Um, I'll let Jenny talk a little about the re refinancing um, that's also on the table uh, for 2020. So we are working on a refinancing as well. As you may recall, we executed on a refinancing in January, um, saw a lot of success in that, in that transaction, and we generated $100 million of excess savings over what we had budgeted. Uh, and we are um, uh, going to be working towards another refinancing in the fourth quarter of 2020 to execute on another $100 million. Um, depending on where the market is, that refinancing could be a little better, a little worse than, um, than that number. Uh, and then in addition to what Susie talked about for 2020, we also have other efficiencies we're working on internally uh, and are um, you know, continuing to work to address the remainder of the gap. So you're looking to save another $100 million with refinancing? 
Yes, that's correct. How much are you refinancing? That's going to require a lot of refinancing. So we're still working on the exact structure and the sizes to be determined. Um, it is a lar- it's a fairly large refinancing, which had been planned earlier in the year. Um, there are you know certain bonds that just be- become more attractive candidates as uh, you get closer towards the end of the year. More than a billion, I take it. Uh, possibly. What's the ballpark? We're still working on the structure. It's, I, I don't have an exact number for you. But the mayor has said that this is a seismic disruption of Chicago's economy. So great, she claims, that it can only be balanced with replacement revenues from Washington. Another round, which we have not seen because there's a stalemate, concessions from city unions and new revenues that might include the dreaded property tax increase. How large might a property tax increase be and can you get the votes for it in the city council? So a property tax increase is last on our list. Um, When uh, we have seen so many people uh, suffer during the midst of COVID, um, we know that affordable housing is an issue that many residents face. Uh, Increasing property taxes is very difficult. It's not to say that it's not a tool in our toolbox and and possibly may need to be, uh, but we importantly, we are building contingency scenarios for how it is that we can address this gap uh, in uh, both 2020 and 2021. Uh, I, I oh, I mean, there aren't that many revenue sources that are A, reliable, B, broad-based, and that the, the rating agencies consider solid enough in this kind of economy, this kind of a crazy economy that has been so devastated that you could do it. So what else could you do but a property tax increase? So one thing I was just going to mention is that in 2020, we did implement over $500 million of structural savings or increased revenues without meaningfully going to a property tax increase. Um, there, the city has a lot of tools in its toolbox. It's got a very diverse revenue base and, and importantly has uh, a lot of opportunity for additional efficiencies as well as certain expenditure reductions. So it's not to say that uh, that uh, uh, a uh, property tax is the only solution for us. There are, are lots of other ways that we can address this crisis. The one other thing I'd also mention is that over 65% of the budget gap for 2021 is due to COVID revenue loss or $783 million. And so what that means is that at some point, we, we expect that the broader economy will recover from COVID. The timing of that is still uncertain but when that recovery comes, that revenue loss becomes in essence one time in nature. And so what we wanna be mindful of is how we're approaching this budget as it relates to both one time and structural solutions with that context of how much of this gap is really created by COVID specifically. Right, but the only revenue source that you have really mentioned is this computer lease tax uh, which is at seven and a half percent, I believe, and you would like to take it up to nine, and that involves computer leases and cloud services. That's not big money. So there are other revenue sources that we've talked about so far, and again, this was really just the budget forecast release. There's uh, the actual budget proposal that'll come in mid-October. Um, we've talked about TIF surplusing. Last year, the city surplus the largest TIF in the city's history of 300 million. We're gonna to work to aggressively surplus TIF this year as well. 
Uh, we've also talked about uh, casinos, which, uh, which likely will not be a 2021 solution, but regardless is uh, a uh, stream of uh, revenue that is structural in nature, that is hundreds of millions of dollars and allows us to, you know, in essence, build a bridge this year towards the, that revenue source. Um, so we've talked about a number of revenue sources, although uh, the full budget proposal doesn't come till mid-October, and we're going to engage with a lot of our stakeholders over the course of the next few months in order to determine what other revenue sources might be included. What other revenue sources are you looking at? Are you looking at, for example, a sales tax increase, which would be big money, even a quarter of a percent would be? Uh, so a sales tax increasing uh, would require state legislation. Uh, right, but you could ask. We could ask. I, I think that uh, I think that those are some of the discussions that we're going to have over the course of the next few months. Um, you know, the other thing I would also point out is not it's not just about revenue sources. I mean, there are two sides to this equation. There are increased revenues as well as decreased expenses, and we are um, also actively working to um, address the expenditure side of the equation as well. Of course, but is the sales tax increase on the table? I mean, that, that is a broad-based revenue source. All of, I would say all of the tools are on the table. It's too early to tell at this point what the proposal will look like. All of our tools are on the table and we'll have to, you know, continue to engage in those uh, conversations with stakeholders to determine what, uh, what the final proposal will look like. What is the argument for that one? Um, you know, well, you, I think you mentioned the fact that it's broad-based. I think the counter-argument would be that it's been a very difficult environment, and we also want to make sure that we're uh, creating stimulus for the economy. Um, uh, increasing taxes in this difficult economic environment um, does not create a stimulative environment, but importantly, we also have to balance that with the fact that we have to make revenues match expenses and have a balanced budget. So. Um, you know, I, I couldn't tell you at this point whether it's on or off the table, but, um, you know, there are certainly uh, arguments pro and con for or against a, a sales tax. How about a gas tax, for example? I mean, gas prices have really declined. Uh, that could help you fund some kind of a, a infrastructure bond issue, which you have talked about. Are you considering that? Uh, we're, we, like I said, all of the options are on the table. Um, the uh, gas tax is something that I know the state had passed in the last legislative session. Um, and, you know, again, there are lots of pros and cons for why you might approach a gas tax. But the city's gas tax could help fund its infrastructure program just as the state used it for uh, the state one. Right. I mean, I think the infrastructure conversation is probably a little different from the corporate fund conversation. Um, there are a variety of revenue sources that can help support a capital program, um, but you know, like I said, all of all of our rev all of our revenues and uh, and options are really still on the table at this point. Susie, for weeks after the shutdown, Mayor Lightfoot insisted that the diverse economy in Chicago was well positioned to weather the storm of increased costs and declining revenues tied to the pandemic. Why did she insist for? for so long that things were going to be okay when they clearly were not? Um, I don't think it was that she insisted that everything was going to be okay. We do have a diverse economy that Jenny had talked about. Um, you know, we have a very diverse uh, group of revenues. I think, you know, part of what this whole COVID um, has shown us is that, you know, it's uncertain. You know, the projections that we put out in the forecast are also moment in time. So, you know, how we look towards budget 
that could be a different story um, when we come out in October. You know, how this looks at the end of the year. I think everyone, you know, a lot of municipalities and even the state when they pass their budget, you know, in June, um, what their thought was then is probably different than where we are today in September. Um, and so, you know, I think what COVID has shown us is just that there's a lot of uncertainty. You know, when we looked to put the forecast together and the revenue numbers that we presented, you know, we looked at a lot of different projections. Um, we did a lot of analysis around that and, you know, everyone was different. And so I think that's part of COVID um, and that's what kind of what we're moving into next year. I know Jenny talked a little bit about, you know, what this is going to look like next year, how quick the recovery is, all that's going to impact um, you know, where our budget is in come October and, you know, where we are positioned next year. So I think there's, you know, we look at this monthly um, right now and, you know, we're going to keep watching the trend. You know, everything impacts this right now. Um, how long, you know, COVID is, when the vaccine comes out, you know, how many people get the vaccine. I mean, all these little things, um, you know, how we do flu season and all of those things, you know, is there going to be a second shelter in place? Um, that will all affect how our revenues are looking and, you know, where we go, uh, you know, with our budget. So. But a lot of people are wondering how the shortfall for this year could have jumped a hundred million dollars in just a few months when the mayor had said a couple of months ago it was 700 million. How did that happen? So I could start and Jenny definitely could add on, um, you know, when we came out with our earlier projection, first of all, it was very early, but we wanted to give everyone a sense of, you know, what the impact had been. Um, you know, every month that we, you know, get, then we have another good month of data and we can kind of start seeing that trend. Um, I don't think it's that we were off. I think, you know, at that point in time, we had, you know, in revenue through April um, with a little bit of May, you know, we came out today, we have, you know, further, we have half a year of revenue so we can really see a better trend. Um, and like I said, it's just a lot of uncertainty. And, you know, I think, even with reopening, you know, less people are still coming back to work. Um, you know, we're not getting that full, you know, a lot of one of the revenue sources that are really impacted is our uh, parking garage tax. And because even when the city reopened, I think a lot of companies are still working from home. Um, so, you know, I think that's a trend that we have to keep watching and that, you know, we're going to have to keep an eye on. Yeah, just to add to what Susie said, uh, the, uh, gap that we're facing is largely due to revenue loss due to COVID. And so given that, um, what we, when we announced numbers uh, in June, in early June, our COVID cases were below 200. At this point, they're in excess of 300. And we've seen a 200% increase in those COVID cases. We've had increasing restrictions placed on the, uh, on, on the economy. And then importantly, we've also seen additional um, disruptions um, due to some of the protesting that's occurred, as well as um, as well as uh, some of the closures that have occurred. And so, to what Susie described before, it really is a point in time snapshot, and we fully expect that there are going to be changes as we move forward through this crisis. What we know about COVID is it's dealt us an un, uh, unhealthy and unexpected dose of uncertainty um, that uh, has changed course over the last three months three times. We had increasing cases. We had decreasing cases and we have increasing cases again, that uncertainty is going to persist throughout the course of the next year and probably longer. Um, so that I, I think it's wholly expected that you're going to see changes um, in what these estimates are going to be. We're going to monitor, monitor that very closely, as Susie mentioned. To close the gap in the 20, uh, uh, in the, in the, in the, in next year's gap, the 1.2 billion, 
how much federal assistance do you need? The mayor's talked about hundreds of millions that she needs. And what happens if you don't get it? Because there's this stalemate that continues in Washington. What's plan B? So we are building a number of contingency scenarios for what happens if we don't get federal funding. Mm -hmm. um, and importantly, it, it's very likely that we aren't going to see federal funding before the time it is that we have to propose our budget in October. Having said that, we are not the only city in the country that's facing this issue. And many other cities and states are facing much greater depths um, of, uh, of, uh, of crisis and difficulty because of the fact that, um, that of, uh, of their economic base being, um, you know, uh, being less diverse than the city of Chicago. And so it's, it's, it's a, it's a um, need that we're seeing across the country that isn't specific to Chicago, but importantly is so important to making sure that we are seeing a speedier economic recovery. And we um, have been working with a number of our um, colleagues in the Illinois delegation, as well as other organizations nationally in order to continue to advocate for that funding. I know, but what is plan B? Well, plan, I, I want to convey that plan A is that we're, we're going to put this budget together assuming we are not getting federal funding. Okay, so how, um, do, you, how do you come up with $1.2 billion? And I think, you know, that's the work that we had to have ahead of us. I think Jenny um, did a good job talking about, you know, all the options are on the table. It's going to be a combination of a lot of things. Um, you know, there's not going to be with a gap that size one thing that's going to close that, uh, as you alluded to. Um, so it is going to be, you know, looking internally, you know, workforce efficiencies, um, you know, new revenue and a whole slew of things uh, to close a gap that size. So um, that's what we're working towards. You know, plan B is really, you know, if somewhere in the mix, um, you know, like Johnny said, we're not anticipating a federal package coming between now and October. Um, if we did, great. Um, but we're going to plan as if we are not. Um, and then plan B is if, you know, there is something that comes in. Um, and then, you know, like Jenny said, we will have a couple contingencies um, that we have thought through. But we are working towards a budget that does not assume that. Right. So then you've got to be looking at hundreds of millions of dollars in cuts and hundreds of millions of dollars in new revenues. Um, like we said, yes. I mean, a lot of options, all the options are on the table um, with a gap this size. And we're going to look, um, you know, we're going to continue to track revenue um, to see if, you know, any of our assumptions that we've put out, uh, you know, today has changed um, and see if any of those have improved. And we're going to we're going to work our way towards that over the next several uh, weeks and months. The mayor has said that the magnitude of this crisis requires reimagining the whole city workforce for functions that are no longer needed and that won't be in the post-COVID-19 world. What exactly does that mean? The Civic Federation President Lawrence Massal thinks it means eliminating entire programs. It has to. Um, we're taking a really hard look at that. Um, you know, I think we learned uh, a lot during COVID. Um, you know, the city has been operating the way it's been operating for a long time. Uh, even something um, as simple you know, to a private sector as teleworking. I mean, the city had not done that up to COVID, um, as you probably know. So, you know, even something like that, you know, can we lessen our footprint? Does everyone need to come in um, every single day in person? Is there a telework option? Um, are the way we're offering our services the best way? You know, we've, especially, you know, even how we're doing this interview over Zoom, are there things where you can get permits or other things? Um, you know, we talk to people this way. We'll always have a... Um, in person just because we want to make sure we're servicing and we're providing our services to everybody. Um, but, you know, there, 
we have learned lessons um, due to COVID as we went into the shelter in place and continue to um, have the city run. So I think that's a lot of the work we're doing right now of, you know, I firmly believe that, you know, when we come out of COVID, um, whatever that looks like, we probably will not come out, you know, go back to everything as how it was. So that's kind of the task I've put to our department heads. Um, that's a lot of the conversations we're having. Are there, you know, what have you learned during COVID um, as we have continued to provide services that our residents need? And is there a better way to do it? And what are some of the lessons we've learned over the last several months? Jenny, the mayor says that uh, she's begun discussions with organized labor who have been exempt really up until this point from any of the pain that a lot of people in the private sector have endured during this pandemic. Now, layoffs, furlough days, pay cuts, what do you need from organized labor and how can they escape the pain that everybody else has felt? So what we need from organized labor is uh, for them to come to the table with actionable solutions that can help to support us in the 2021 budget. Um, we are more than willing to have uh, a collaborative dialogue around this. The mayor said that in her comments on Monday. And, uh, you know, and want to make sure that we're incorporating everyone's ideas as we try to walk this path together. Um, importantly, uh, to the point that you've made, there are significant um, needs and all of the solutions are going to need to be on the table. Whereas in previous years, we had the luxury of pri prioritizing certain solutions over others. And this year, all of them are going to be needed. And so this is a conversation that we want to make sure is um, engaging with our uh, key stakeholders and um, is, is not you know, done in isolation. But by the same token, we also need to know that um, we're going to be able to ultimately have um, responsible um, uh, actions that we're taking in 2021 that tells a story um, to the credit markets and to others that the financials of the city are stable so that we can ensure that we come out of COVID um, stronger than we are going into COVID. It has to include layoffs or furlough days or pay cuts or a combination of those. Yes, I, we, we put that on the table and, you know, and that's something that the mayor talked about on Monday. We're having those conversations now. Um, what the size and shape of that is, we'll have to, uh, you know, we'll obviously have to have those conversations. Um, but we're not alone in this. Uh, a lot of cities across the country have had significant uh, numbers of uh, personnel actions because of the fact that uh, we are in the midst of a crisis where um, we have seen significant unemployment in the city of Chicago and ultimately government, you know, also needs to reflect kind of what's going on in the broader, broader landscape. Can you give us some idea of what kind of a cut, how many layoffs, how many, what size of the pay cuts, is it 10%? Uh, how oh. many furlough days? What are we talking about? So this is Susie. I will. Um, so that is kind of the work that we're doing now. So I don't have those numbers for those numbers for you at the moment. You know, the way we are approaching this is really um, through services. And, you know, what is it that's absolutely critical um, that our residents depend on? And, you know, we're going to go through program by program. Um, service by service and, and work our way through this process. So, you know, we but wouldn't you rather do an across the board cut so everybody can share the pain? We will make sure um, we are working with every department. So, you know, like I've said, and you may have heard me say on Facebook Live, no one's exempt um, from this exercise. But I will say, you know, I've been in the city for a while and, you know, 10% to one department um, you know, is not the equal to 10% to another. And so this I'm is talking about the unions, though. I'm talking about a pay cut. 
wouldn't it be oh, wiser to do it to do personnel. a cross the board pay cut so that everybody can keep their jobs but just suffer a little Sure. I mean, and that's part of, you know, some of the options we're looking at, um, you know, is there just a reduction, you know, and that's where that discussion is between a mix of, you know, furloughs versus uh, layoffs versus, you know, what does this really look like? And that's a lot of the conversation that we're going to have um, between now and you know, when we present the budget. What is your preferred solution? Um, you know, that's a good question. I think we, I want to look at all the options. You know, I want to be thoughtful on this. You know, I understand the time that we're in. Um, you know, and as the mayor had talked about, you know, we don't want to put people out there uh, with given all the stuff that's going on with COVID. Um, but we also need to make, um, you know, the right choices and and hard choices, actually. So so that's a lot of the work we're going to have to do. But, you know, I think it's going to be a combination of a variety of things. Now, the mayor has resisted calls to defund the police that have been sweeping the nation since the death of George Floyd. But with a one point eight billion dollar budget. The Chicago Police Department has to have places where they could make some cuts without uh, impacting the level of police protection and the size of the force. They have a ton of brass, for example, making huge salaries. Do we need all those people? Can't there be cuts in the police department short of cutting the number of officers? Um, that's, you know, this is Susie again, this, that is part of the conversation we're having. Uh, you know, police is not going to be exempt from this exercise. Uh, so we are looking at them. Um, you know, they are our largest budget. You know, we've had a lot of conversation around the police budget and I know we're going to continue to have that over the next several months. Um, so we, we are having those discussions of, you know, where are the right places, um, to make those cuts. I think, as you know, you've heard the mayor say 89% of the police budget is personnel. Um, so we're going to have to Really it is all the that. personnel necessary at those levels of salary. Absolutely. Um, and that's the discussion we're having and we're going to have um, with the superintendent. Um, you know, I know they've reorganized and, you know, he's kind of thought through what the department is going to look like. Uh, so we will have those conversations. Do you think they have too many brass? You know, I actually, you know, this is an operational question. I think that's why, you know, I, I wouldn't know, um, but that's kind of the, that's going to be the conversation that we have is, you know, what's, what's the right number? Um, you know, what we would definitely want to make sure that the superintendent has the uh, level of staff that he needs um, to, to do his job and, and to, you know, to get what he needs to do done. Um, but we're going to have those conversations, just like I'm having with all of the commissioners on, you know, what is the structure and what does this need to look like next year? What about the fire department? The one-year contract maintains staffing levels and treasured union perks, but that is another enormous price tag that could be cut if you were to take on the, the question of concessions from that union. Why not do that at this difficult time? Um, with the fire department, um, similar to, pol to police, uh, we are gonna have those discussions of you know, what, is, what is necessary um, to your point, you know, we did do uh, the contract and, and it's it's back on the table next year because I think we are going to continue to have those conversations of, you know, where are uh, some of the savings that we can see um, within the fire department. So that, that conversation is ongoing as well. Police overtime, $45 million for June, probably the same in July and August. How do you I do get have July's now? numbers, um, and so they're back down um, for July. I think it's around 10. What, what, is, what is July? Uh, I believe it's 10 million. July is 10 million, really? Yeah. 
So 10 million down or 10 million total? No, it's about 10.8 was for July. So almost 11. Um, but, you know, it is definitely uh, much lower than the 47 they had the previous month. And wow. you know, we know okay. that a lot of those costs were, you know, due to all those events that were happening, um, you know, between Memorial Day and mid-June. Um, you know, this number does include the July 3rd holiday. So, you know, it is, you know, they are kind of back down into where they normally are. And we're going to continue to work with police um, on overtime. Um, I know we had some good, um, headway as we started the year, but you know this is this is what overtime is for with all the work that they're doing right now. Um, so you know we're going to continue to have these conversations around overtime. You know I I think our goal this year was to try to keep them at budget, but given the all the things that are coming together um, at them, um, work with them. But I also understand that you know this is a time where they're going to incur overtime, um, and we're going to have those conversations. Jenny, the police academy, the, the budget was $95 million. Before the pandemic, the mayor said she wanted to make it bigger and better and inevitably more expensive. What is the status of that project now? Can you do without it or do it in an existing facility? So the project development is ongoing. Uh, we did uh, borrow for that project in previous years. And so there are bond proceeds that have been allocated towards that project. Uh, the exact nature of that development is still a work in progress, and I think that DPD is doing a lot of work with the community, um, you know, to talk about what it is that that project will look like. Can't you slim that down? Can't you do it in an existing facility? Is this the time to build a, a big new edifice and of to say nothing of the controversy? Well, you know, I think that it's broader than just the uh, just the uh, police uh, facility itself, the training facility itself, but also um, what are other economic development type initiatives that we can um, help to support as a result of, uh, our, of, uh, of constructing the facility? Um, in, in addition to that, just a broader comment on capital overall. Capital is funded through different sources and ultimately gets funded over time because of the permanent nature of the investment. And so while you know, we are you know, working through difficult challenges in our budget, we also believe it's important that we continue to invest in the broader Chicago landscape. And ultimately, you know, through capital, we also, um, you know, will be able to help support um, jobs as well in that process. And so, um, you know, although we are, you know, facing a difficult financial circumstance on the operating fund, you know, we do believe it's important that we continue to invest in various capital improvements across the city. Pension obligation bonds, a $10 billion idea championed by former Mayor Rahm Emanuel. You've said you're looking at it, but only if it is coupled with pension reforms, like what? So that's a conversation that we need to have with a number of stakeholders because pension reform ultimately requires uh, a legislative change at the state level. Um, the uh, idea of a $10 billion pension obligation bond would, you know, likely cause for us to get downgraded if it is that we were to pursue that in isolation. Um, it doesn't generate budgetary relief in and of itself. Uh, and to the extent that uh, we aren't pairing that with various other reforms, um, we're not, you know, putting a, a long-term plan for um, financial responsibility out there to our financial stakeholders and are, you know, are, would, would make it very difficult for us to be able to tell that story well. Right, so what reforms do you need? So we, we, we're talking, we're looking at it all. Um, you know, the state of Illinois has had 
um, a difficult time with reforms as it relates to current employees, but it doesn't mean that there aren't other options for um, whether it's future employees or other ways that we administer the funds. Um, the state made an effort to um, pursue uh, consolidation of the pension funds for downstate police and fire in uh, the previous legislative sessions. And, um, you know, we're having conversations about all of that. Before we go, let me hit a couple of quick topics. The police contract is likely to be $300 million in back pay if it's even a penny. How much of that have you budgeted in this shortfall number for next year? Um, so we did uh, put uh, a portion of that uh, How much? How much? forecast. Um, I don't want to say, but we do, we do want to plan for that. You know, I think we had a I lot mean, of discussion. It's not enough. It's not 300, 300, 400 million, which with it's the not the whole amount. Um, you know, I think there's a fine balance given our deficit. You know, we don't want to, the, the timing around when this contract is going to be completed is still uncertain. Um, you know, there was a lot of discussion that, you know, I had about, you know, how much do we put in the forecast um, without knowing when, um, this is going to be completed. So, you know, we did put a portion of that in our, in our gap, um, you know, obviously when it settles um, and when we bring that down to council, we will come with a uh, funding um, resolution to that. So, you know, we're gonna continue to track that, um, but the whole portion is not in, but there is a, a good portion of that um, that we did, we did put in the gap. The casino, are you looking at a temporary facility to get this money rolling in sooner instead of waiting years to build a new facility? We are looking at both a temporary and permanent casino. Um, as you know, we put out a request for information on August 27th uh, to solicit feedback from the industry, which included questions about both a temporary and a permanent casino. And, um, you know, and it's very much something that we're, uh, we're talking about and looking into. Uh, you know, there are pros and cons of uh, doing a temporary casino, but importantly, um, you know, was authorized by the state legislature. And so we are taking a look at that. And that would be maybe at McCormick Place East, which is that big empty hulk of a building that, I mean, the, the convention business is like kaput at this point. Would that be where it would be? We don't really have any um, designs on sites at this point. Um, I, I know I know McCormick has um, you know had difficulty, but it, there are a lot of locations within the city of Chicago. Where? Where? Get, name a few. Well, there are all of the usual suspects that have been talked about related to a casino over for the temporary. I'm talking about. Uh, I, I think it's too early to tell. I don't. I don't. But I mean, there aren't that many big places that are open and empty right now, ready to go. Yeah, I think that's what this RFI is for. Is for people to just give us ideas about where they would like to see a casino, both temporary and permanent, located. Is McCormick East at least a possibility? I, it's one of the options. I don't think we've taken anything off the table. We haven't, you know, really said that we've focused on one or another. So, um, you know, it's one of the options. O'Hare expansion, the, the airlines cannot afford the level of expansion that was agreed to. Are you renegotiating with them? No, we aren't, and we're moving forward with TAP at this point. You know, the TAP expansion is a long-term investment in the broader, um, you know, uh, expansion of the, of the Chicago economy. Um, the TAP program isn't expected to be completed until 2028. And so... Can you slow it down? We're looking, we're looking at how we strategically move forward with the project. Um, TAP is currently in a design phase, and it, is expect, it was always expected to be in a design phase for several years. 
um, and that design phase is moving forward. Um, it's not to say that the uh, folks at the airport aren't spending a lot of time in, in thinking about how we are strategic about this in this time frame. Um, one example of that is they've actually accelerated a number of um, you know larger maintenance projects during this time frame because construct because uh, traffic is less, which allows them to do construction in a much more efficient way. Uh, so there's a lot of work going on around that to how we adjust um, to doing the TAP program in the midst of COVID. Um, the uh, the program is moving forward though, and but it could could it slow down a little bit? Could you lengthen the timetables to give them a chance to get back on their feet? Look at the layoffs they've ordered. There isn't anything at this point that would indicate that we're going to slow that program down. So okay. you know we're taking a look at it, but there isn't anything at this point that would indicate that we're slowing that program down. And, all right, and the lead pipe replacement, $10 billion, won't the homeowners have to share that cost? So it's a significant liability. We are um, working on uh, advocating for additional funding for those, so for, for those needs um, at both the federal and the state level. Uh, and, and by the way, it's not an issue that's uh, specific to Chicago either. Um, and so uh, to the extent that um, we aren't able to find um, sources, we would need to, um, you know, find a way to pay for it, but we are actively working on trying to be able to identify sources for this. Uh, so how much would homeowners have to share? Um, it depends on the speed of the program, and it also depends on what other monies are available to us. But, but it'll be something for sure. At some point. There, there will be some increases, um, but, it, you know, again, it depends on the speed of the program and the uh, amount of federal and state funding available to us. And it would be an increase in the water bill? At some point. Yeah. And you have no idea how much? I, I, it's too early to tell. At this point, we're, we're really only implementing a uh, pilot program, which has been fully funded. And so there aren't, there aren't any near-term increases that we're looking beyond the annual CPI increases. Um, but at some point in the future, there is, uh, you know, there is a larger liability that we'll have to address. Jenny Wang Bennett, Susie Park, thank you so much for joining us. And you have obviously your work cut out for you. Good luck. This is a, a mountain to climb, and we'll see you all next week. <laughs>